Be seated. Okay, you're familiar with this. You only live once. Uh, so some people, they jump down from very tall places. Some people try a lot of various things. But you will, we all recognize that we only live once. We want to live our life to the fullness. The question is, how? How to live life to the fullness? It is through wisdom. It's through wisdom. That, uh, and, and what is wisdom? I heard a story about uh, a factory assembly. It's doing well, and then suddenly it, it's not. It got stopped here, got stuck. So the factory manager engaged a consultant. The consultant again went to look at the factory, look everywhere, and finally he zoomed down on one place. Then he opened up his toolbox and he took out a hammer. He knocked, knocked here, knocked, knocked. The assembly line continued to move. And then he sent in the bill. The bill was $10,000. Then the factory manager was very uh, enraged. He said, how can you just tap, tap here, you $10,000? Here, give me an itemized bill. This is the itemized bill. $2 for tapping on the hammer, 9908 for knowing where to tap. Wisdom is knowing where to tap about your relationship, about yourself, relationship with people around you, relationship with God, as well as in your workplace, in where God has placed you. In fact, last week, um, Elder Shing mentioned about what is wisdom. He said, wisdom is skill for living that is aligned with our Creator design. Skill for living that is aligned to our Creator's design. And the book of wisdom now we are, we are looking at is filled with a lot of wisdom, a lot of gems. And our ultimate wisdom comes from God because He's a Creator. Give us an overview, overview, various lessons. Last week we talked about the next. <clears throat> the beginning of our wisdom is the fear of God. To recognize that there is a God. Not the, not the kind of fear where you're afraid of Him, but the fear that you're awed by Him. You're amazed by Him. You're just overwhelmed by the greatness of God. And Pastor Kofai, as we prepare this series, give us uh, some notes here. But another seri- uh, the same series here by Pastor Tim Keller. So I'm, I want to, a lot, what I'm going to share today comes from this particular uh, notes here. So I want to acknowledge that. But before we go into the, uh, the topic, specific topic today, we talk about pride. Let me just give you some additional notes about Proverbs. Take note of this as we look at Proverbs. Proverbs are by nature about probabilities. So you fear Lord, you make good choices, things will go well with you. If you don't fear God, you are foolish, life will not likely to go well. All these are often true, but not always. Problems are not absolute promises. They are not absolute formula for success. Give you some example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Yes, you fear God, you live a moral life, most likely you will live a longer life. But not always the case. Am I right? You see godly people who die young? Yes. You see very evil people who live very long? Yes. And another, another problem we talk about, train the child in the way you should go. That when you're old, you will not, they will not turn from it. Yes, raising child in a very stable, uh, loving home will set them well in life. But not always the case. Some children do go wayward. There's no guarantee. Things can often go wrong. So Proverbs by nature acknowledge that as a general rule, this is true. Next. This is what normally happens. But the wisdom books are not ignorance of the exceptions. 
When are the exceptions? Next. The exceptions are taught in the book of Job, are the book of Ecclesiastes all about. So as we look at, look at um, Proverbs, we need to recognize this. Normally this is what happened, but there are exceptions. Now the book of Job, exceptions is that there were some, Job would live a godly life, but a lot of disaster one after the other happened. Why? Because there's something else was happening in his life. Above him, another dimension, there was a conversation between God and Satan. And then the book of Ecclesiastes, yes, the people seem to be evil, but they are prospering, but the judgment ultimately comes from God after that. It's living, uh, not, not living so-called under the sun. So we need to take note of this. So now we are going to the, the topics of Proverbs here, uh, the topic of pride in the book of Proverbs. Okay, when it comes to this, um, let me read to you Proverbs 11.2. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Humility comes wisdom here. One of the most critical character traits to become wise is to be humble. Opposite of humility is pride. And uh, let me tell you, I'm not very qualified to teach about this. Just ask my wife. She will tell you all my pride. All the various, uh, my pride I've gotten myself into various embarrassing situations. And, uh, but I'm preaching it to myself too. I'm also in the process of learning together. When I was young, my trainer, my mentor, give me this verse. Okay, next. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty eyes before a fall. Every time you stumble, remember. <laughs> Sometimes have to do with pride. Because I was growing up first with very low confidence, but then later on in life, I gained more confidence. And then I become looked down on people. I become very proud. So this is a reminder for me. All of us have issue with pride. And we all cannot stand people who are very proud. So it is a very important topic for us. Though, most will acknowledge that they are proud, but very few feel that I'm not that serious. I'm not so proud until so serious. So we're going to look, 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 we're going to look at the book of Proverbs to seriously diagnose, do I have a serious problem with pride? That's the first one. And then what is so destructive about pride? And then finally, we're going to look at the antidote of pride. So let's look at the first one, diagnosis of pride. How do you know that you have this issue? First, pride wants to feel better than the others. They want to feel better. In Proverbs 11.1, 1, it's said here, a man lacks, who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. The word derides here means what? It means look down. Look down in disdain upon other people. Why? You need to, feel, you need to make himself feel that they are better than other people. Always comparing in order to make themselves feel better. Put themselves in the better light, put others in the negative light so that you look better. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about pride in his book. Um, mere Christianity. Very interesting. Listen carefully here. If you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself how much I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or shove their, their all in or patronize me or show off. The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everybody else's pride. It is because I wanted to be the big noise 
in the party that I get so annoyed that someone else being the big noise. Next. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich, clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, cleverer, better-looking than others. If everyone else are equally rich, clever and good-looking, they have nothing to be proud of. It is in a comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride is gone. Desire to be above the rest. I look at my life. I remember one particular leader growing up. He's a good leader. He's a good speaker. And then he's also run well. He can run marathon. I look at him, I say, wow, he's so good. But then I tell myself, no. Yes, he can run. But can he play football? I can play football. Yes, he has very interest. Can he fish? I can fish better. Yes, he can lead well, but can he, he can teach well, but can he train many people? I can train better. I notice that myself always comparing in order to put myself feel better. The question is, why do we compare? Why do we compare? Tim Keller he said this, every human being is amassing a resume. Resume accruing a case that we matter. Means in resume, not in terms of your work, but resume in your life to show that you matter. And one of the better, one of the easiest ways is to compare yourself with other people. Compare yourself with people who are so-called not as good as you. Why we make a case for ourselves? To show that we count. Next. We compare to make a case that we matter. We matter. For students, you compare the grades to show that you matter, your grades are better. For those who are in the working place, you compare bonus, you compare your pay, you compare recognition, compare the responsibility to show that you matter. For mothers, for fathers, you compare children's achievement to show that, hey, I'm not a bad father, I'm not a bad mother. We compare all the time. If you're a religious person, you compare, you do it before God. Just like in the book of, in the, in the Bible mentioned, the Pharisees compare, I'm better than, I pr- I'm doing this. If you're non-religious, you're also doing it to yourself to make yourself feel better. You will say things like, I'm more spiritual. I'm more generous. I'm less stingy. I look at myself. uh, In Singapore, I only take public transport for one year. After that, I cannot tahan. I cannot take it. So, I ride my motorbike. So, when I was riding my motorbike, I look at those people who have cars. I say, these people spend so much money on cars. You see, I'm holding a motorbike. And then next, I upgrade to motorbike from a, to a car. Then I look at my car. These people, why they drive new car? I got an 11-year-old car, so old car. At least, I better steward of God's money. These people, so... And then I got a new car. Then I say, oh, I drive a, a Vios 1.5. I don't know why some people drive sports car. Why do I drive BMW? Spend so much money for what? It's just a car. Why do I do that? I want to compare to say that, hey, I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm okay, I'm right. And some people will compare, I'm more hardworking, I'm more conservative to the Bible. The other one say, no, no, no. I'm more open-minded, I'm more liberal, I'm more progressive, I'm more tolerant. You are so intolerant. Always compare, pride always compare. Why? Because we want to show that we 
matters. We matters. Next, pride wants to take the place of God. Listen to what Proverbs 28 verse 26 says. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Pride is an attitude of self-sufficient. I want to be in control of my life. I am the master of my destiny. Listen to what John Stott say about pride. For it is the stubborn refusal to let God be God with the corresponding ambitions to take His place. It's an attempt to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves. Sin is self-deification. In other words, self want to become God. A person who is proud rejects the dependence on God and despises the moral and social limitations to regulate the behaviour according to what's good for other people or good for himself. He wants to decide what is good and wrong. Listen to my conversation with one teenager. This teenager has been lying to save, um, to save himself or some embarrassment. So I confronted, I said, the Bible says, God is true, we should not lie. And the teenager replied, well, that was the past. You are so archaic. Today is different. Culture has changed. It, this is just a white lie. Things, circumstances have changed. What is this person trying to do? This person is trying to say that moral truth is not absolute. Moral truth does not change with time. I can decide. This time, this applies to me. And that is the desire to take the place of God. Sometimes we, we, com- we compromise, we, 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 we say things in order to justify ourselves because we want to take the place of God. And then thirdly, pride calls attention to itself. It's about I, me, myself, always want attention. Listen to what Proverbs 27 verse 2 says, Let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. Give you an example. Today, when I come to church, I don't say, oh, my leg is walking well. In my joints is moving well. Or my head is turning well. I don't say that. Why? Because it's working well. Things that are working well, we don't take notice of it. But, if I have a muscle cramp today, I will notice, oh, I have a calf muscle here. Why is not doing well? It get it get attentions because it is not functioning well. Our ego regularly calls attention to itself. Regularly, trying to tell people that I'm good, I'm better, I'm doing this. Why? Because there's something wrong with our ego. Something is definitely wrong with our ego, with our identity, because it's constantly thinking about ourselves. Desire. When we are desired to tell other people, I'm right, you are wrong. And when people challenge the authority, you, you get very offended. And when people highlight your shortcoming, you get very defensive because the ego is hurt, the ego is wrong. The ego is always like in the courtroom trying to prove that he or she is good, either before God or before other people or before yourself. So if you pride regularly, trying to compare, trying to take the place of God, trying to call attention itself. If you look at this, use this as a diagnosis. Do I have really have a problem with pride? Or is it just, 
other people. The reason why I mentioned about this is because God takes a very serious considerations, look, view at pride. Let's look at the next one. The destructiveness of pride. Tell you a story. It was once two ducks and one frog. They are good friends. They enjoy playing together in a small pond. And then summer came, the pond strings get smaller and smaller. And then soon the water will dry up. So they need to travel to a different place. So the ducks need to fly off, but then the poor frog is left behind. So they think, how do I save this frog? And then suddenly the, 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 the frog gave an idea. How about you take a stick, two of you, uh, ducks, and then hold the stick. And then I use my mouth to grab the stick. And then you can fly off. It worked. Okay? So they fly off, two ducks and one frog, and fly around until they pass by a farm, and the farmer make a, make a okay, claim, wow, look at this. What a clever idea. I wonder who thought about the idea. And the frog said, me. It was I. Then, ah, fell. Okay, only a few of you get the joke. <laughs> Pride goes before a fall. The first people laugh more. Maybe they have heard it. You have heard it before. Okay, let's carry on. Destructiveness of pride. Pride, first of all, pride divides people. Pride divides people. Pride breeds quarrel, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Next, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Pride divides people. I read this, this the this statement, there have never been a war or a divorce or an argument or a church split where pride is not the root factor. Lots of truth in it. I look at myself when I get argument with my wife, when I get argument with my friend, usually what is the cause? The root cause usually is pride. How is it that the smallest thing can blow into the biggest argument? Pride. Pride divides people. Why? Why it divides people? Because, as I mentioned earlier, the diagnosis of pride, pride always wants to feel I'm one man up. I am better than you. And pride needs to take the place of God, that I'm right, you are wrong. And pride, egos, is have, have problem. That's why I always call attention to itself. And therefore, it is not pleasant to be with people who are proud. It is very unpleasant. And many times, we are not interested in solving the problem on the proof that we are right. This morning, I, was, uh, I came to church earlier. Then I, I imagine myself, if I have another person, if I have a clone of myself, another Chiming with me, will I enjoy his company? Yes, I may enjoy a lot of interest. But then, some areas I don't really enjoy his company. Because, uh, it's a pride issue. If you have a clone of yourself, do you enjoy being with yourself? And why? Is it because of pride issue? And pride divides the person. Secondly, pride defies God. Pride, pride defies. Listen to what God say about pride. Proverbs 21 verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamb of the wicked are sin. God call it wicked. God call it sin. Haughty means uh, to be high and exalted. And then God said this very strong word. He mocks the mockers, but give grace to the humble. 
God really hates pride. And pride has a history that precedes Adam and Eve. Listen again to what C.S. Lewis says about pride. According to Christian leaders, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere, are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is a complete anti-God state of mind. It was pride that is the first sin that led the fall of Satan. He was described in Isaiah as like a morning star. Some translations translate him as Lucifer. Listen to what he said in Isaiah 14, verse 13. The motivation behind his rebellion. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. He desired to be like God. He desired to take over the throne of God. He led a great host of angelic rebellions and they were swiftly judged. And then came to the temptation of Eve. There in the garden where God said, no, do not eat from this particular tree. But the real temptation is this. Satan planted, Satan said this. If you eat, you will become like God. That's pride. Pride was the first sin and the most of the sins can be traced to pride. And God view it very seriously. And we all have this big problem with pride because of our desire to go on our own way. So pride divides people. Pride uh, defies God. Yes, it is a serious problem we all have. So what's the solutions? We're going to go to the third point there. The antidote for pride. Antidote for pride is this. Get the glory that comes to the humble. Let me repeat. Get the glory that comes to the humble. You're humble, God will glorify you. Listen to this. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honour. Next one. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries. Keep the widow. God always gives glory to the lowly. If you look at the Bible, how God deals with the people. Instead of the older brother, he gave more attention to the younger brother. Instead of Esau, he gave attention to Jacob. Instead of all the other older brothers, he gave attention to Joseph, the other younger one. And then the girls that nobody wanted, instead of the people of God, he go into the, the Gentile, one of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, Ruth. And then he elevate another prostitute, that is Rahab, to use her. God always used the humble to change the world. The wisdom of God is foolishness to men. Listen to this. Again, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. Humility comes before honour. The first part of this verse is important here. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. How do we understand more the fear of the Lord? We do it by meditating about who God is to be all by Him. That's what we did just now. When we come into the worship, we worship God. We are awed, we are seeing and reminded about who God is. And we are awed by Him. That generates that fear, the, rev the reverence fear for the Lord. When we um, 
partake of the Holy Communion. Again, it reminds us about who God is. And when we read God's Word, it again reminds And that should able to lead us to, to learn to be humble before God. When you are saying humility, I'm not talking about saying I'm nothing. But to recognize that in everybody, we are equally sinful before God. Equally at the bottom plane. No need to compare because we are equally sinful before the God. Unless God elevates us. So the question is how to get this glory? How to get this glory? To get this glory, you must admit you are so sinful that nothing less than the death of the Son of God could save you. It starts from there. The humility to recognize that we are very jalat or we are very in the dire situations that we really need God and only God can elevate us. That's what the Bible says, giving, um, look for people who are humble. Secondly, I want to spend more time on this here. Secondly is get out of the courtroom. I mentioned about the courtroom earlier. Courtroom where we compare. Compare to make a case. Listen to Arthur Miller. He's a Jew, secularly when he, a script writer in New York. He wrote a play called After the Fall. Listen to this uh, quotation here in, in the play he mentioned. For years, I look at life as a case at law, a series of arguments. When I was young, when, you, when young, you prove how brave or smart or a good lover you are. Later, what a good father and finally how wise or powerful. But underlying it all was assumption that the person was moving on the path towards being justified or condemned, a verdict. Then I look up one day and saw that the bench was empty, no God, no judge in sight, and all that remained was an endless argument with myself, the litigations of existence before an empty bench. What he's saying is this, life is like a courtroom series of arguments to prove that you are brave, you are smart, you are good. And then he's saying that this, in this particular courtroom, next, is that your performance leads to a verdict. There is a verdict. Always waiting for a verdict. And to him, because he's an 80s, he looked at the bench, it's empty. It's empty. Even though to him the bench was empty, he still viewed himself is in the courtroom arguing to something or someone to justify his existence to looking for a verdict. A verdict here. And in life, it is sometimes, most of the time it's like this. We constantly want to compare ourselves with other people. We want to take the place of God. Why? Because we want to decide on that verdict. But because we have a problem with our ego, our verdict is always saying to ourselves, it is not enough. It is not enough. Listen to uh, an interview to Madonna. I know Madonna, to some, is a very famous singer. To some, but she's getting old already. But listen to what she said about uh, herself. He said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past a spell, one spell of it and discover myself to be a special human being. But then I feel I'm still mediocre, uninteresting, unless I do something else. Even though I have become somebody, 
I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle will never, has never ended and I guess it never will. A constant struggle to prove about themselves. For those people who do not know God, they are proving themselves to some empty bench, some bench. To some, for us who know God, you're proving ourselves to God and to other people. And some of this bench, some of us live through life, could be your parents. It could be your leaders. It could be yourself. It could be God. It could be anything. Some, some time ago, I preached a sermon. I talked about the movie Rocky. You know Rocky? Okay? Rocky, the boxer, and then he tried to face a person that is uh, much stronger than him. He know that he's going to lose. And then he said, why do you still go for the competition? To prove to myself that I'm not a bum. His bench, to prove to myself I'm not a bum. Rocky have a series of several movies. And then come the next generations. It's called Creed. How many of you watch Creed 2? Oh, you're all good people. Sorry. I watch with my son. Creed 2. It's another boxing. It's not about boxing generation. It's about the next generations. In Creed 2, there were two fighters fighting. Okay? One of them is Adonis Creed, mentored by Rocky himself. The other side is Victor Drago, mentored by his own father, Mr. Drago. Forgotten his first name. Huh? Ivan Drago, yes! Ivan Drago, well, he watched Rocky, Rocky fan. On one side, this guy here, Adonis Creed, he was fighting for who? He was fighting for to prove that he is like his father, the champion. The bench there was his father. He's fighting to prove that he's as good as his father. Victor Drago, poor him. Because Ivan Drago lost, his mother left. So Victor Drago was fighting for the love of his mother. That's where before, he, he, before the fight was over, his mother left. He felt he was gone. Both fighters... One fighting for the father's love, another fighting for the mother's love. The other one fighting for himself. Every one of us go through life, there is a certain bench in our lives. We are all fighting for something, to prove to something. And there's a courtroom. Every day we go into the world, we suck back into the courtroom. We find ourselves arguing, gathering evidence, spinning, criticizing, looking down on people, get sucked into the courtroom. We are still trying to convince ourselves, convince other people that we are people of consequences, we are people that counts. We get sucked back. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? We always have this view that performance leads to a verdict. If you do good, deep inside you will feel good. If you don't do good, you feel inside you still you're bad. We connect everything we do with our self-image. That's why we compare. That's why we become very proud. That's why we become hard to live with. So what to do? The answer is in the New Testament. Get out of the courtroom. It's time to get out of the courtroom. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. The context here, it's about the people of Corinthian Christians accusing Paul about his authority, about his message, and Paul had to defend himself and it's a context here, he's talking about Paul's, about building the church. But the foundation principle is still the same. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said this, I care very little if I'm judged by you. 
any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Paul is saying something very amazing here. Paul, you see, Arthur Miller is using the same metaphor as Paul is, courtroom. He realized that every day, under other circumstances, we are like a trial in a courtroom. But he said, I've gotten out of the courtroom. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what the other human court think about me. Some people say, that's very healthy. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. All that matters is what you think about yourself. This narrative, you hear that time and again in YouTube, in Hollywood movies. Correct? It don't bother about what other people think about you. All you need to do is to think about what you think about yourself. Let me tell you, it doesn't work. Why? Because you will set yourself such a high standard, you can't even meet your own standard. And if you say, oh, then you set lower standard, then you can meet it. Then you say, I'm a person of low standard. So either way, don't win. So Paul has got to say, no, it's not about other people. He said, I don't even care about what I say about myself. I have stopped connecting my performance with my self-image. I've gotten out of the courtroom. I do well today, I don't connect to myself. I do poorly today, I don't connect to myself. It is God who judges me. And what was God's verdict on Paul? What was God's verdict on ourselves? Listen to Romans 5.1. Therefore, if we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justify is a courtroom term. It means declared not guilty. You are fully accepted. The verdict is in God have already accepted you. God always loves you. Next. God always loves you. God accepted you. You are already good in God's sight. Intellectually, some of us will say, yes, I agree. Deep in my heart, no. Why? We still continue to live with life, con constantly fighting the battle of comparing. The verdict, next, the verdict is already in. Christ is in Christ, it is not performance that leads to verdict. Rather, in Christ, it is the verdict that leads to performance. And that changes my performance. And therefore, I can go out and help people not because I want to feel good about myself. I go and help people because I just want to help people. And the gospel changed the way you look at yourself. I'm no longer amassing a resume to prove myself. I no longer have to be defensive. Today, this morning, I came up there, I went to the prayer room, I prayed. How well I preached today, how much feedback I will get, whether good or bad, it's okay. The verdict is already in. God say, you're alright, you're okay. And because of that, it motivates me to give my best. It motivates me. And I don't need to care about what people say after the sermon. Same way also with us. How is this possible? How is this possible? I want to bring you back to the past. Another courtroom sin. That's a sin. The same sin that before Christ was crucified. We can get out of the courtroom because Jesus Christ went into that courtroom. There was another trial. At that trial, the verdict already came in because all the people, the jury was out there 
giving false statements to tell that Christ is guilty. Christ even even have a chance to defend himself. He was already guilty before the trial. And then he was condemned to die on the cross. Jesus got the verdict that we deserve so that we can get the verdict that he deserved. Jesus got the verdict that we deserve. We are all equally sinful before God. We are equally messed up. And Jesus got that verdict. He died on the cross for you, con I. In order that we can get his verdict. What was his verdict? Full obedience to God. Righteousness. Righteousness. God fully accepts us. God fully loved us. God fully justifies us. Therefore, I can, don't have to go out to the world feeling proud, need to compare myself, feeling need to always think about my own ego. I have that kind of balas, the kind of security. When you are with a humble person, you recognize that the person is very secure. When you talk to that person, it's not about that person. The person don't talk much. It's about you. You feel that the person is very interested in you. Why? Because the person is very secure. Why is the person secure? Because the person recognizes the verdict that has been given to him. Christ's verdict for him. And this is what we have to say to ourselves. That's what the fear of the Lord teaches us. The fear of the Lord in worship, in your quiet time, in your Bible meditations, in the communion, is to remind you about who God is and what Christ has done for us and that will give you that humility to come before you, give you the security. You must need to remember the gospel and revive yourself with the gospel each day. Tim Callum mentioned about he has a slip of paper in his wallet every day to remind him about the pride issue in his life. In his paper, this is what it was written. It said here, are you anxious? Are you afraid of how you look? Are you getting down on yourself? Are you criticizing other people? Are you being devastated by criticism? Are you looking down on anybody else? This is a very good list of questions. I'm now beginning to think about these questions. If I, if I say yes to anything, pride has gotten me. But then he added in the last line. The last line said, court is adjourned means what? The issue or the problem has been sorted out or mostly resolved by the time of the hearing. In Christ, the court has been adjourned because the verdict is already in. Christ got the verdict that we deserve so that we can get the verdict that He deserves. So we can leave this place. We can leave the courtroom because He went to the courtroom. Let me tell you, it works. It works. It gives you that security. It helps me. Jesus said, he who exalts himself will be humble. He who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the wisdom of God. And that will give you, that it comes from the fear of the Lord. And that will help you. So let us pray. I invite the musicians to come forward. Take some time to think about what I've just shared. If today you do not know Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus went to the cross. He took the penalty of all the sins. He took all the verdicts of judgment against us there on the cross for you.
And through His obedience, we get the verdict that He deserved. Today, you can accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I believe in You. I want to humble myself to admit that I am a sinner. I need You. Come into my life. And if you express the desire to God, Jesus will come into your life. For those of us who have already known Jesus for some time, I'm going to ask the same questions again. Are you anxious? Are you anxious? Why are you anxious about? Are you concerned about how you look? Are you getting down on yourself? Are you criticizing other people to lift yourself up? Are you being devastated by criticism? Are you looking down on anybody else? If you answer yes to any of this, today I want to pray for you. You can lift up your hands so that I can know I can pray with you. Anyone? me to pray for you if you answer yes to any of this. Yes. Any more? Yes. 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 You can put down your hand. One line that was mentioned, court is adjourned. We can get out of the courtroom. Jesus has already gone to the courtroom for you. Jesus got the verdict that we deserve so that we can get the verdict that He deserves. That is His love that gives us the security, that gives us the strength. That's the wisdom of God. Let us pray. Lord, I want to pray for those who raise up their hand, Father. You know what they are anxious about? You know what they are comparing about? You know what they are looking down on themselves or other people about? Today, I pray that God, You will go down deep into their hearts. Assure them. Assure them about the verdict that You have for them about your love, the verdict that they are now fully accepted. They are okay. They are alright. No longer need to look down on themselves. No longer need to look down on other people. They are okay. No need to comparison. The verdict is already in. And I pray that God, you speak down to their hearts. Same also for the rest of us here today. We need you, Father. We need you. So that we don't always have this anxiousness. But we are transformed by your goodness by who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Let us rise and worship the Lord. Let this worship leads you to fear the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom.
should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being the very nature God did not consider himself equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant be made in human likeness be found in the appearance of a man he humbled himself became obedient to death even death on the cross therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for being present. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. And today, Lord, as we go out into the world, help us not to boast about ourselves, but to boast in the Lord, boast about what you have done for us and that will give us the security they will give us the ability to live above all these comparisons. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us. Thank you for speaking with us. Thank you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.